0: All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to skip through a lot of the introductions because we were here Monday, uh, Tuesday night and we began a discussion on the uh, atonement. We, we talked about Christ and the cross. Turn with me really quickly. Let's go back and find that verse that we use as our jumping off point. That would be First Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. In verse 1, it says, "...and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come to you with a superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power." So Paul said he came to the church of Corinth to preach to them. He preached the gospel to them. And the gospel is not only Christ-centered, but the gospel is also cross-centered, isn't it? The work that Jesus Christ did on the cross is the focus of Paul's message. Look what he said again. He said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What was the focal point of his preaching? The cross and what Jesus did on the cross. And that's very important for us to remember. Again, I want you to look what he said. I didn't come in superior order of speech. I was in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power. Now you notice that word "spirit" is capital S. Here. So I want to share a little testimony with you. When uh, when God first called me out of uh, a lost state. I had grown up thinking that I was a Christian. I grew up thinking that I was born again when I was 8 years old, 7 years old. I went down an aisle. I ran down the aisle because my grandfather had been preaching that night on hell. And I ran down the aisle because I did not want to go to hell. And they, uh, I made a profession of faith. They baptized me. As a matter of fact, like any good Baptist, I've been baptized about four times now, right, just to make sure. Uh, the, uh, most of the average Baptist is, I think the statistics are about 2.5 baptisms per Baptist right we have to make sure we get it right and then a lot of people rededicate their life and get baptized again. again the reality was God was already at work in my life but I had a hard head and a hard heart and when I ran I was running for me I didn't want to go to hell But at about 40 years of age, God finally broke my heart. He saved me. This time it wasn't something I did. This was His work. And when He finally allowed me to see what I looked like from His point of view, when He used His law and His words to show me who I was in His sight, it humbled me. And I fell on my face and I cried out, Oh God, please help me please save me and what I realize now is that over f- for well, I'm 53 years old for 53 years God's been at work in my life I'm one of his sheep and all of those years he had been calling me and the salvation process is a lifelong process we are justified once that means that God saves you he justifies you. But there is a process of being conformed to the image of Jesus that will take place the rest of your life. And I want you to notice what Paul says here because this, this is some of what I want to focus on. The gospel message is the pr- preaching of Christ Jesus and Him crucified. And not only that, but the preaching is about the, it, the preaching is not persuasive words, but is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. So, God had saved me. Um, I, I went and began to work in uh, clinics, working in rehabilitation clinics, working with um, drug and alcohol, people in drug and alcohol detoxification. Um, working in psych wards with um, people with mental illnesses, working in suicide units with people that are trying to commit suicide. And God, thankfully, opened doors for me and used me in a mighty way. But when I first started there, I remember one night... Uh, preaching and this young lady just literally like broke down in tears and was crying and crying crying. so after the class was over with came over she was obviously in sorrow she was broken for her sin and I shared the gospel with her I shared the gospel with her I shared the gospel with her and that night she never made a decision to trust Christ I've never seen the young lady again in my whole life I don't know where she is in her walk with Christ I do hope that he saved her but I can't be sure but I remember going home that night and crying because I thought if I would have just said this or if I would have just shared this word or if I would have just told her this, she would have, maybe she would have believed. But do you know what the problem with that mindset is? I'm trusting my persuasive power to save her. Salvation is not something that the preacher does. Salvation is something the preacher proclaims through the Word of God. And it is the Spirit of God and the Word of God that regenerates the human heart and saves them. And that's what Paul is saying here. The message of the cross is about what Jesus has done, not what you have done. All right? Now, I'll share that with you because last time we were together, we got to talking about free will. All right. I want you to turn with me really quickly back to the very beginning of the Bible to the book of Genesis and I want to ask you a question let's look at Genesis and we're going to look in verse let me see if I can find it let's see God made the light God made the animals evening. God made the creeping things Then God said, this is Genesis 126, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the other creeping things that creep on the earth. God created man in His image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. Alright? Now, let's go down and look in verse 7. Then, this is another picture of God creating man, right? I want you to look at what it says. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust. Dust you are, dust you will return. Dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils and the breath of life and the man became a living being. Can you tell me in that verse when Adam became a believer in God? When did Adam begin to believe in God? When God breathed life into him. That's when he believed. Before God breathed life into him, he was what? Clay. Right? Now, I want you to remember that. Now, let's go over to the book of Ephesians. And look in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And it says this: Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly, in which you formerly walked. You were walking dead according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power there of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of our minds, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest. But God being rich in mercy. But God. Anytime you're in the New Testament and you read the words, but God, there's going to be something good that God does after that. Every time. But God, there's some, some good news coming. You were dead. Not partially alive. Not kicking and choking. You were dead. And your are trespassing. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were what? Dead in our transgressions, what did he do? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You've been raised up with him, you've been seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now remember, last time we were together, we talked about the fact that Jesus came and lived according to the law. He fulfilled all the righteousness that was required by the law. He died on a cross and took our death so that we could one day receive His life. Remember? He died. They buried Him in a grave. And three days later, He rose from the grave. And now He has ascended bodily and He sits in heaven uh, waiting for His enemies to be made His footstool. The providence of God is playing out in the world all around us right now today. And Jesus is up there waiting until the last uh, believer believes and then He's coming back to get His people. You see? That's how it's going to work. But the point I'm trying to make here is this. We were dead just like Jesus was dead in the grave. And we have been raised with Him. So, Paul said in Galatians, uh, the one book before this, he said, I, have been, I am crucified with Christ. That's a present tense for reality. And it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Now if I'm crucified, I'm dead. And it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So it's by His faith that I live. It's by His power that I live. It's by His Spirit that I live. I was dead; He made me alive. Do you understand that? Now let's turn backwards. Let's go to the left. Well, hold on. Before we go, before we turn from there, look really quick. Look what He says in verse eight. For by grace—that's a gift of God. For by your believing, you have been saved through faith. Is that what it says? No, it says by grace you have been saved. Through faith and that of not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Now, I will argue with you that it says you were saved by grace. Saved, grace, and faith are all three the gifts of God that he's talking about there. Look at it again. By grace, you have been saved through faith and that is not of yourself. Grace is not of yourself, salvation is not of yourself, and faith is not of yourself. It, all three of those things, are a gift from God. When God breathed into Adam's nose, He breathed life into him. It was a gracious gift. At the moment He breathed into his nose, He believed. And He had life. How long did He have life? Could have been everlasting, but He turned from that life and turned towards death, you see? Alright, now look what He says. He says, This is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Why? Not as a result of work so that no one may boast. Now, I want to ask you this. If we, if me and you go to heaven <coughs> and we're in heaven and Jesus says, why are you here? I can give two possible answers for that. You ready? Here's the two possible answers. Because you died on a cross and saved me so that I could come here. Or two, because I believe that you died on a cross and saved me. Now which one of those two statements give God the glory and which one of those statements give me the glory? If I say it's because I believe, then who's boasting? Me. You see, the reason I'm in heaven and the reason I'm better than all of those people in hell is because I believed and they didn't. I'm boasting. I'm getting to heaven because of something I did. I believed. when you turn faith into a work, then your salvation is merited and not grace. Now I know this is tougher than to struggle, and this is something I-, I beg of you to struggle with what I'm telling you today. Because until you get through your heart and your head that salvation is a gift from God and that it's a gift that He gave you, not because you deserved it, but because he loved you and he knew you before he ever created the world, and he knew that one day his son was going to die on that cross to save you because you were a gift from the father to the son. And the reason you were saved was because the good shepherd doesn't lose sheep. And all of that all of those statements give him the glory for it. The moment I begin to take credit, the moment I turn my faith into a work, My faith is, then my salvation is merited to me, and it is not a gracious gift from God. Now, how many people that are saved believe? All. It's very important. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that all of those who would believe on him. That whosoever is not a conditional statement, whosoever is not the condition, whosoever is the reality. The whosoever's are all of those that believe. Does that make sense? So, I want to share this with you. How many of you have ever heard of a uh, dogma, a teaching in the church called the treasury of merit? Anybody in here heard of the treasury of merit? Do I have anybody in here that is of a Roman Catholic faith? I have no Roman Catholics here. Tony's my only papist. Okay, alright. So, if you were a Catholic, one of the dogmas of Rome is something known as the treasury of merits. Alright? This is how it works. Jesus died on the cross, and that work and all the work that He did on the earth built up a credit system, a, a treasury of forgiveness in heaven. Not only what Jesus did, but Mary and Peter and all of the super saints... Not only did they do what was necessary for them to get to heaven, but they did more than that. So anything extra that they did is now placed into the treasury of merit. You see how that works? Now, what the Catholic is going to tell you is that it's not my works that get me to heaven, it's Jesus' works and it's the saints' works that give me my forgiveness. Well, what is required for me to cash in on that treasury of merit's? I have to do penance. What is the difference of penance and repentance? Can somebody tell me that? What is the difference in penance and repentance? When you acknowledge, it, I guess you acknowledge that you've done it. But both of them, you acknowledge that you've done it. Right? Well, when they were building St. Peter's Basilica in Rome way back in the day, at the times of Martin Luther, before the Lutheran Church was created, there was a guy named Tessel who was a, Ro- a Roman priest, and Tessel was going around collecting up money to build Saint Peter's, rebuild Saint Peter's Basilica in Rome. And what he would do is he would go around, and he says, "When a let's see, how did it go? When a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs." And what he was saying was, is "If you donate money to the building of the cathedral," then you can get your dead parents or your grandparents or your aunts or your uncles or somebody you can earn them some merit so that they can get out of purgatory and get on to heaven all right so this treasure now i'm not making this stuff up guys this is really this is really catholic dogma and what they believe is that there's a giant treasury of merit up there and the pope is the one that has the keys that can let that merit out for people to benefit okay So what they're saying is is all of these saints did all of these good works and you can benefit from what they did by doing penance. By putting money in a coffer. By coming and lighting a candle. By going to Mass. By praying. By fasting. Let Let me summarize that. By your working, you can earn merit with God. Now, the merit is not yours but you get credit for what they did when you show penance. Penance. The difference in penance and repentance. Penance is when you do something to earn forgiveness. <laughs> praying and walk, praying on your knees for five hours is doing penance. Oh God, I'm sorry for what I've done and I'm showing you I'm sorry by doing penance. Right? The difference in penance and repentance is is repentance is when you turn from what you're doing and turn to what Christ did. Repentance is recognizing what I've done is the problem, not the answer, and turning from it and turning to what Christ has done. You're not trusting in something you've done, you're trusting in what Christ has done. You understand? And the problem that we have in our modern evangelical churches is if we have turned faith into a work that we do, The reason you're not healed from your sickness is because you don't have enough faith. Did you know that sometimes it's God's will for you to get cancer and die? Do you know that sometimes it's God's will for children to suffer? Did you know that all of that is a part of God's plan? Did you know that when Noah built that ark and eight people got in that ark, do you know how many millions of babies drowned that day? They died. There was only eight people that survived. And it wasn't because they were good, because as soon as they got off the ark, they started sinning again. It was because God graciously held them in His hand and saved them from His wrath and judgment. And they were no better than any of the ones that died. Moses believed. Noah believed God. How do we know he believed God? He built the ark. But it wasn't Noah building the ark that saved him. It was God warning him and telling him what to do. Noah's obedience was what was required of him. Why? Because faith without works is dead. Noah could have said all day, Oh, I believe you, God, and not build that ark, and his whole family would have drowned. Your faith has to be in something that's true, or it's no good. And what my faith has to be in is, look what Paul said in that, remember what he said in that Corinthians passage? It is the power of the Spirit and the message of the Gospel that saves people, not people that save people. You are dead. And God made you alive. Now, if you don't believe that, let's look at another passage of Scripture really quick. Turn with me over to John chapter 3. Let's look at John chapter 3. Most of us should be pretty familiar with John chapter 3. Let's look at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to Him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So in order to see the kingdom of God, what must happen? You must be born again. All right. Nicodemus said, How can a man uh, be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is clay is clay. And that which is Spirit is Spirit. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Alright? What is Jesus saying? In order to be saved, you must experience a new birth. Now, for all of my free will proponents out there, how many of you believe that in order to be born... A child has to exercise his will. <coughs> How many children exercise their free will when they are born? When they are pushed out of their mom? That's nature, isn't it? But did they choose to d- to be an egg in their mother's womb? Did they choose to grow in their nine months? Did they choose what day they were going to come out of there? Did they choose what hospital they were going to be born in or what day they were going to be born? No. Life was a gift from God. It had nothing to do with their choice. You say, well, their parents chose to have a kid. It didn't have anything to do with parents' choice either. The parents wanted to have a child or should have wanted to have a child. But the mom didn't say, you know what, I think I'll have a baby today. And just miraculously have a baby in her womb. Like, that act was not of the free will. There are a lot of parents out there that are trying to have babies today and their free will, with all of their free will and all of their might, they're trying to have a baby and they can't. Because God is the one that chooses life. And God is the one that preserves that baby in the womb. And God is the one that makes sure that that baby has breath in his nose when he comes out. And God is responsible for every breath you've ever taken and every breath you're going to take. Now, why do I want to say that? <clears throat> you have choice. You have free creaturely will. Every one of us in this room can choose to do things, right? I would suspect that if you really wanted, you, you could choose to leave this place, right? And one of the things, the requirements, you have to have a bus ticket when you come here? You could freely choose to walk out. That's a choice you made. But when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to spiritual eternal life, that is not your choice, that's God's choice. And your choice is a reflection of His. Adam chose to believe in God after God breathed life into his nose. Now, why do I say that? Because that which is flesh is flesh and that which is spirit is spirit. What did Paul say about the the flesh? (laughs) The natural man is at what? Enmity with God. The natural man cannot understand the thing. neither does he want anything to do with it. Why? Because God is life and man is encapsulated in death. And what I hope you will hear what I'm teaching you tonight is this. If you think that your choice has something to do with your salvation, then you don't understand how dead in trespassing and sin you really were. The picture is, is that I was drowning in the sea and the waves were flashing all around me and Jesus came by in the lifeboat and threw the life raft out to me and I grabbed hold of it and He pulled me into the, the boat of eternal salvation. That's not how salvation works. If you wanted that analogy, you were dead on the bottom and the crabs were already eating you. And Jesus dove down to the bottom and pulled you up and breathed new life into you. Amen. It had nothing to do with you. You were dead in your trespasses. and God has made you alive. Why is all this so important? Because when you as his child learn to start depending and trusting on what he has done instead of what you have done you will know the true freedom of salvation when you begin to trust in his work and not yours when you realize that it's his work and not yours you will have the freedom that comes in Christ that you will have freedom you will know the truth and the truth will set you free the truth is that Jesus died on a cross to save broken men like me and you the truth is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had this plan planned out before the world was ever founded. The truth is that Jesus came just like it was prophesied, just like it was decreed it was going to happen, and He died on that cross for a people. Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd. I lay my life down for the world. Is that what He says? No. No. Let's go there and look. That's important to understand. John chapter 10. We don't like this teaching because it goes contrary to me. We like everything to be self centered, it's about me self righteousness, self sufficiency. That's what we like. We like it to be about me. And the problem is, for the natural man, the gospel is about Jesus. And only the true child of God is going to turn away from his natural self and turn to the spiritual life that is offered him when he hears the shepherd's voice. Only the true child of God is going to turn. So look at John chapter 10. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is staring these Jews that do not believe Him in the face and saying, that song was about me. You've been singing it in your temples for 2,400 years and you were singing about me. He said, I am the good shepherd and I lay my life down for who? The sheep. Now look what he says. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and they are scattered. He flees because he's a hired hand and he is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Now that word know is a very important word. It's the same word that was used in Genesis when it says that Adam knew his wife. It's the same know that Jesus uses in Matthew 6 when he says, Depart from me, I never knew you. They said, wait a minute, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we do all that? Didn't I, didn't I, didn't I, didn't I? And what did Jesus say? I don't know you. I have no spiritual intimacy with you. Depart from me, I never knew you. And I can promise you this. According to the Word of God, on judgment day, He will never say that to one of His sheep never will He say, depart from Me, I never knew you. It's only the goats that are going to hear those words. Alright? Now look what He says. Verse 14, I am the Good Shepherd. I know My own My own know Me, even as the Father knows Me and I know the Father and I lay My life down for the sheep. That's two times now that He said He dies for who? I lay My life down for the sheep. Does He lay His life down for the goats? No. He lays his life down for the sheep. <clears throat> for this reason, my Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I can take it again. No one has taken it from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up. This commandment I received from my Father. Now a division occurs among the Jews because of these words. All right. Um, let's go. Let's keep going. Skip over with me because because of time and restraint. I want you to go back and read all of this passage to get all the full context on your own. I'm just jumping ahead a little bit to get what I, I need you to see here. Look what He says in verse 24. The Jews gathered around Him and saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, just tell us plainly. Why do they not believe that He's the Christ? They don't believe. And we're going to see that in just a second. Look what He says. Jesus said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in My Father's name, these testify of Me. But you do not believe. Why? You're not My sheep. The reason they don't believe is because they are not His sheep. If they were His sheep, they would they would believe. My sheep know Me. I know My sheep. My sheep know My voice. And what do they do when, they, when He calls? They come. And any of you in this room who knows the gift of eternal life. Anybody in this room who has been a, is a born again, blood-bought child of God knows what it was like when the Good Shepherd called you to Him, and it was probably one of the most terrifying and sca- scary and most humbling things. That, well, it is. It's the most humbling, self-crushing things that ever happens in your life, because you have to let go of you. You have to leave you on the cross with Jesus, and you have to come to Him. And we don't like to do that because we like ourselves. You see how that works? It has to be about Him, y'all. It has to be about Him. Now look what He said: My Father, all right, this is important, I have given eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. How many of His sheep are you going to lose? Look what He says again. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of My hand. Watch this. My Father... Has, what has His Father done? What does it say in that next verse? My Father who has given them to me greater than all. Great all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Alright? So, what is He saying? He's saying the Father has given me a people. Who are these people that the Father has given me? My sheep. Now, if you don't believe that, turn back with me. We are going back to the pastor we looked at the other night. Go to John 6. Go back to John 6 and we'll walk through this and see what, what message we see in that. John 6. We'll start in verse... John verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Now think about what He just said. This is the work of God that you believe in Him who He has sent. Your belief is a work of God. Now remember what Paul said in Ephesians? You were saved by grace through faith it is not of your selves it is a gift of god not of works lest any man should boast all right look at that passage again jesus answered and said this is the work of god that you believe in him who he has sent it's god's work that you believe paul later on says salvation grace and faith are gifts of god they're not of your works lest you boast it's the work of god Adam's breathing and life that he got in the garden was a work of God. Adam formed him out of the God formed Adam out of the clay and breathed life into his nostrils. The new birth is a gift from God. He breathes new life into you. All right? <clears throat> he says this so they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Alright, show us something so we can believe you. Now what you'll find is, is one of the things in the Bible is this. True faith it doesn't work this way. The world teaches you that show me and I'll believe you. That's how the world teaches. Give me proof and I'll believe you. Show me and I'll believe you. What Jesus says is believe me and I'll show you. Now, What did He say in the parable or the story of Lazarus? He said, go tell my five brothers about this place. And what did Jesus say? They would not believe if a dead man came back from the grave and told them. They have Moses and the prophets let them hear them. This is what Jesus is saying. My sheep know My voice. And My voice is represented in My words. And when those words are spoken, My sheep hear them. It's not about signs and wonders, it's about proclaimed truth. When the word of truth is preached, God's sheep hear that and respond. You see how that works? Alright, now look. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, and it's not Moses that gives you this bread out of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread of heaven. For watch, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. So, Jesus is the bread of life. Who is that bread of life offered to? All. And to all of those who come, they will never thirst and they will never hunger. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Now look at verse 37. This is right in your face. You can't deny what this says. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly never cast out. How many people would come to Jesus that He would push away and say, depart from me, I never knew you? Not a single one. Why? Because only His sheep come. Who are his sheep? All that the Father has given in him. Now look what he says next. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but of the will of him who sent me. Alright, now what that teaches us, Jesus has a will. The Father has a will, the Son has a will, the Spirit has a will. They are one per one being, three persons, and each of those persons has a will. But I can promise you this. The will of the Father, the will of the Son, and the will of the Spirit will never contradict one another. They are in complete eternal harmony. There's no contradiction in the will of the Father, the will of the Son, and the will of the Spirit. There can't be. If there's contradiction between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then you have just destroyed the the unity of the Trinity. All three of their wills are in harmony. Can we agree on that? All right. Well, what does it say? The will of the Father is all that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have not come down from heaven to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of Him who sent me. So this is what He said. This is what Jesus said. This is the will of my Father. Is that fair? Am I translating that properly? Jesus is saying, "This is the will of my Father." all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. So of all that the father has given to the son, what is Jesus promise going to happen to all that the father gives son he will raise him up and they will all be together on the last day all. Now if one of the sheep slip through the cracks and winds up in hell, the Father's will has all come. Jesus died on the cross, and we and we've been discussing whether it was for all people, everybody, every single person that ever lived. The Father's desire is that uh, all that He gives to the Son would come to him. If the Holy Spirit comes and tries to save somebody, and the human will overrides the will of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> we got trouble. When the creation can override the will of the Father, we have flipped things on its head. that makes sense? Alright, look what he says. Verse 38. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that all that He has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son... What does it mean to behold? Behold. No, be behold. Oh. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Right? What? To see. To perceive it. To, rec- to see it. To behold something means to grab it with your eyes. To see it. He says that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Now, what did He say? The Father is going to give a people to the Son. The Son is going to die for those people. And all of them will come to Him. So, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, He rose from dead. Now He's ascended into heaven. The Father and the Son have sent the Holy Spirit back to earth. What for? To convict us of our sins. To convince us of what Jesus did on the cross. And confirm who we are. When the Holy Spirit convict goes into a room and convicts a group of people if it's the Holy Spirit's will that somebody receive and believe what's going to happen they're going to receive and believe and if they're like these Jews he said you are not my you're not my sheep you don't believe me because you're not my sheep if the Holy Spirit convicts someone who's not one of his sheep what's going to happen they're going to not believe they're going to reject it you see? Now, the Jews were grumbling because He said, I'm the bread of life. They were saying, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that He said He's come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. All right, so, all of the, this that I've been bringing up to you will cause you to grumble. It's like, I can't believe that. I can't believe that Jesus didn't die to save every, save every single soul that ever lived. I can't believe that Jesus didn't die for every sin of every person that's ever lived. The problem with Jesus dying for every sin of every single person that has ever lived is that you have now made Jesus's work on the cross ineffective. Because there's somebody in hell today, and if Jesus died to pay for all of their sins, they're burning in hell for something that Jesus has already paid for. And you can say, "Oh, well, they didn't believe." Unbelief is a sin. And if Jesus died to pay for every sin of every person that's ever lived, then that means every person is going to be saved. Now look what He says. They begin to grumble among themselves. Why? Look at verse 44. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. No one... Can come to me. Y'all remember that little lesson we learned when we were in elementary school? Teacher, can I go to the bathroom? May I. What did she say? May I. may I. What's the difference in can and may? Can is May is permission. What is permission? May means you have the permission to do it. You have the authority and the capabilities of doing it. That's, that's me. Can is the ability to do it. Alright? So in other words, if you were using that illustration from school, you could have peed right there by your desk. Can I go to the bathroom? The teacher say, yeah, you can go to the bathroom. And you go right there. But that's not what you're asking. You're not asking, do you have the physical ability to go to the bathroom? You're asking, can I have permission to leave the class and go down to the bathroom and relieve myself? Right? Look what He says there, because this, this is a hammer in your head. If, you, if, if you, Jesus said, do not grumble. No one can come to Me unless the Father draws him. So what does it take for a person to come to Jesus? They have to be drawn by who? The Father. So, who is drawn by the Father? All of those that He has given to His Son to save. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, He's sitting in heaven right now, and He is our High Priest in heaven, is He not? And He is interceding. Do you think that He is interceding for the people that are in hell? No. He's only interceding for His people. When the High Priest on the Day of Atonement, went into the Holy of Holies and sacrificed that cow on the Holy of Holies, He was not doing that for the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites. None of those people were included in that atoning work. It was only the people of God. Now, was everybody that was in Israel truly the people of God? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 that not all of Israel is Israel. Let's look at that really quick. we got to wind down. I'm not going to keep y'all down like we did tonight. I promise. Look really quickly at Romans chapter 3. Actually, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 2, verse 28-29. Romans chapter 2, verse 28-29. This is what Paul says. For he is not a Jew... "...who is one outwardly, nor of the circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God." See what he's saying? A Jew is a child of God. And what he's saying is, just because you were physically a child of God, doesn't mean that you were spiritually a child of God. A physical circumcision on your outer flesh does not make you a true Jew. What makes you a true Jew is to have your heart circumcised. Alright? Well, what does that look like? Ezekiel 36. Got two more verses and then we're done, guys. I promise. Ezekiel 36. Verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations from which you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Alright, now watch. want you to listen to how many times God says, I will in this passage. You ready? Verse 24 of chapter 36. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from the lands and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and you will be careful to observe My ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your forefathers and you will be My people and I will be your God. You see what he's saying there? The children of Israel were being judged for their idolatry. And God said, you're My people and I'm not going to let you keep living like that. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to reach down into that vile, wicked world that you're in satiated in and, and idolatry in and the muck and the mire. I'm going to pull you out from among those wicked people. I'm going to wash you clean. I'm going to rip that heart of stone out of you and put a heart of flesh in you. I'm going to fill you with My Spirit and give you the ability to walk in My laws in a way that you could have never done on your own. And most people think that this is the passage that Jesus is referring to when He talks to Nicodemus when He said, you must be born... Of water and the Spirit. You must be born again. They're pretty sure that this is where Jesus was going to when he was because Ezekiel would have known this. Ezekiel would have known this passage. So what he's saying, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. He's saying it's about God's will, not yours. And then finally, the last verse for tonight. We looked at this the other day, but I want you to see this again. Um, If this don't hit you right in the mouth and make you think about what it's saying, then nothing will. Look in John chapter 1. uh, John chapter 1. We'll start in uh, verse 9. John chapter 1 verse 9 says this, There was a true light which comes into the world that enlightens who? Every man. Light shines on who? Every man. He was in the world. The world was made through Him and the world did not know Him. All right. Now, I challenge you because in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world. But there are ten different ranges for the word world in the book of John alone. <clears throat> All right, The wide world of sports is not the wide world of the animal kingdom. The world of cosmetology is not the world of gymnastics. Are you with me? There's different meanings and ranges for that world. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and He said, God so loved the world, remember, Nicodemus, what's his nationality? What's his race? Jew. And who did He think the Messiah was coming to save? Just the Jews. So when He's talking to Nicodemus, He's saying, no, Nicodemus, God so loved the world. Not just the Israelites. The world. That He gave His only begotten Son. That all of the believing ones, whosoever believes in Him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. So, look at this. He says, He was in the world, the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, His own people did not receive Him. Now watch. But to all of those who did believe Him. Right? Is that what it says? Uh Uh-uh. It doesn't say to all those that believe Him. See, I tricked you. Look at your passage again. What does it say? To all of those who what? Received. Received. You see, before you can believe, you have to receive. God has to do a work in your heart in order for you to believe. And He said, as many as received Him, He gave them the right, the privilege, the authority, the capability to become children of God. And these children were not born... Look what it says. These children were not born... uh, Of blood, nor of the this is this is the the center point, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Look at it again, verse twelve and thirteen. As many as received Him, to those who believed on His name, He gave them the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in His name, who were born these children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What that means is God's will. Alright? Here's what he's saying. Just because you're Jewish doesn't mean you're a child of God. Alright? Abraham had two sons. And only one of those sons was a child of promise. Isaac. You see? Just because you're Abraham's seed does not necessarily mean that you're of Abraham's promised seed. And so it's not being born of blood. And God, I got news for you. Your mommy and your daddies might be some of the most religious, holy, holy, holy people that you've known in your life, but they did not pass on one genetic drop of eternal life to you through your DNA. Not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. That means you just didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to be a Christian now. Okay, I'm a Christian. In the same way that you say, I'm going to stop smoking, or I'm going to make my tooth stop hurting. Or I'm in stage four cancer I'm going to just make it go away. That's human will. Or step off a ten-story building and say, I think I'll fly. That's human will. This says, "These these children were not born of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, which means I'm a preacher, my desire is for everyone in this room to be saved, but there's nothing I can do in my will to change that. I've been given the privilege and the gift of being able to preach the gospel and let God do the work. Not born of blood, but born of the will of God. So if you're in this room today, and you are a child of God, it's because God chose you, He sent a Son and He died to save you, and they sent the Spirit to come and change your heart and give you the faith and the life that you need. And they're never going to take that promise away from you. And the more you learn to trust in the work that He's done and let go of the work that you are doing, the more secure and assured you'll be in your faith and your salvation. Stop trusting in yourself with everything. It's not about loving yourself. That's not in the Bible, guys. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart our mind our soul our strength and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. What's last on that? Ourselves. Right? And people say, well, i got to love myself before I can love God. I'm like, No, it works the opposite way. The love of God first, then others, then you. When God doesn't work in your heart, He's first. Those around you are second and you are last always. Those that are first will be last and those that are last will be first. He flips it on his head. Father, thank You for this time You've given us tonight. Lord, I know there's a lot to think about, and, and I know even for me it's a challenge to, to realize that my salvation, my forgiveness, my hope and my eternity is based on what You have done and not anything that I have done. Please help me to realize that more in my own life. Please help me to grasp the evident truth that You love me. And it's not because of anything that I've done. But you love me enough to save me. And you will always have the glory for it. And I pray that I can live my life in such a way that you will. And I pray that you will help everyone here in this room to do the same. Help us to live for you. Help us to love you more. Help us to love those around us more. Help us to die to self and live for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.